the iHub Network's Lord and Master, John McMullen. <laughs> Thank you and welcome to the John McMullen Show on this Friday, the 5th day of March 2021. Glad to have you among the masses here. Well, tomorrow is March 6th, and that is a day that all across America and around the world, loved ones of persons who have lost their lives to a drug overdose celebrate those lives. As many listeners to this program have come to know and learn over the past 15 months, I unfortunately count myself among the survivors to this global tragedy. The day is recognized now as Black Balloon Day. The first such event began with the death of a 38-year-old man, Greg Tremley, who died six years ago on March 6th as an act started by Diane and Lauren Hurley. Overdose has become the leading cause of accidental death in the USA, and it may surprise you to know that more Americans die from an opioid overdose than from automobile accidents or by guns. And we know the kind of priorities those have had placed upon them. Yet in 2020, it is not surprising with all the other impact of the coronavirus, drug overdoses soared to the worst numbers ever. I have invited Ken and Eric McLaughlin Seeley from Ken Seeley Rehab back to the conversation. Thank you guys for being here today. Ken, let me start with you. Why the dramatic spikes in overdose deaths in 2020? Um, because of the pandemic, it's pretty simple. Um, uh, everybody's isolated, everybody's alone, and their worst nightmares are becoming a reality. Eric, do you find that there's a lot of commonality in the reasons behind people's becoming addicted? I think that my experience when I look through a clinical lens is that I often see that there's a lot of what we call underlying issues, which can be trauma, some form of neglect as a child, maybe some sort of predisposition. And, and there does seem to be consistent themes that lead people to substance abuse. I find that substance abuse for a lot of people starts as a coping mechanism. Either they're anxious, they're depressed, maybe they don't have a low self-esteem, they don't feel good about themselves. And over time, uh, how the substances can come to be uh, actually something that they need. They create a physical and psychological dependence on them. And sometimes when we see when people go in with pain issues, sometimes they, they may be more vulnerable to becoming addicted to very strong medications. Now, that's not, there are many people who are able and active to sustain kind of the use of opiate for pain, but I think sometimes if there's, there's a vulnerability or a lack of resilience or a, or a challenge, it can compound that issue and lead to drug addiction. Ken, all too often family members and friends can jump to judging people who are in the depths of addiction. What should those people be doing? How do they help them help their loved one, but not go so far as to enable the addiction further? What I'm seeing a lot is people not pulling the trigger on getting people help. You know, all the warning signs are there. All the red flags are going off. The bells and whistles are sirens are yelling and screaming at them. And, and what I mean with that is that, like you said, they're not only drinking, but they're doing heroin. They're doing drugs that you know, they're not judging them, but what they're not doing is pulling the trigger to get them help. And until they're in recovery, they should be working their butts off to get their loved one help, period. And if they slip or relapse, 
then they work their butts off again to get them back into recovery. And that's the missing link because the disease, the addict in the disease is blinded to the dysfunction that it takes them to. They don't see how bad it is. The family, the friends, the loved ones around them, they're the ones that are witnessing it and they're not pulling the trigger. We have to start pushing people to pull the trigger and not stop until they're in recovery because that's why people are overdosing and dying. We watch them. We're nursing them to death. By not doing anything, we're nursing them to death. Agreed, uh, based on my own experience of, of going through this with somebody. But let's face it, there's a lot of people who look at this and because some of the most common behavior that an addict has is to lie, to cheat, to steal, to do anything to get that next high, it becomes very wearing on those other people. Are there resources that you would refer people to who are not the addict themselves to be able to empower them to do what they need to do to to get that loved one the help that they need? Yeah, and I love that you asked that because so many people say, oh, well, it's their problem, not my problem, so I don't have to do the work. But there's a program called Al-Anon that's free for anyone to go to in the world, and they could go and sit and work with other people and get a sponsor. That's all free. You know, that'll take time to get them into recovery because they're not professionally guided. You know, they are more self-help to help them understand that they, they don't have control over their loved ones. So Al-Anon is a great tool for the people that are watching their loved ones die, where they could learn to put healthy boundaries, consequences into place if their loved one doesn't get help. But the real help, if you want to do immediate assistance, that's when you hire an interventionist. You know, it's in- interesting you bring that up, Ken, and of course, you are one of the personalities on the cable television program, Intervention. I know you guys just started a new season, and we'll have you give details on that before we get away about how people can see those episodes. One of my grandparents was sadly an alcoholic in the later stages of her life, and the disease is what I believe ultimately killed her. Uh, I was in my mid-20s, and felt pretty helpless because my mom and her three sisters were split on doing an intervention that may well have saved her life. Some family members didn't want to risk hurting her feelings. What happens, Ken, when the struggle moves from the addict to those who can't agree on how to help the person who is sick? Well, then the first thing you would do is get the interventionist to work on the two and intervene on the ones that don't want to do it. And when it's communicated in a loving, respectful way to them that they're nursing, as you said in this example, their mother to death, then they get an an awareness that a light bulb turns on and says, we have two options right now. We could nurse mom to death or we could take the chance of her being angry with us. At least we know we could put our head on the pillow at night knowing we did everything to try to save her life, even if she does get angry with us. But my experience in this has been when addicts get into recovery, the most common thing that every addict says to me when they get into recovery, I watched your show. I only wish I had loved ones that loved me enough to do an intervention on me. I had to hit a rock bottom on my own and come to my own reality, but I didn't have enough people that loved me to come together and do an intervention on me. So maybe that's what your grandmother would have said. 
as well. I really feel the love because an intervention isn't intrusive. It isn't belittling. An intervention is really about how to show them how much they're loved and how bad you want them to fight for their life and not let this disease kill them. Yeah. So when it's communicated in that manner, it's just it makes zero sense for anyone to say, oh, yeah, I'd rather nurse my mother to death. Eric, you and Ken were longtime residents of the Coachella Valley. You know the landscape of the medical institutions here. When my former partner, Alex, passed away from acute fentanyl intoxication a year ago this past December, I was stunned to realize the prejudice in treating a terribly sick person was as bad as it was. He overdosed in the early morning, was rushed to the hospital, given four shots of Narcan to revive him, then released later in that same afternoon. A hospital would never cut a patient loose the same day if they suffered a heart attack or a stroke. This institutional problem is pervasive in America. It's not local to this area. These patients should be held for observation, assessed by medical and mental doctors, and put on medications like Suboxone, don't you think? And yet, that's not the reality. WTF. Yeah, and, you know, just really sorry that you experienced that. And I think that that experience is not um, unusual, Um, you know, that there's a there's a crisis situation and that the people who are are kind of brought in to deal with the crisis aren't fully educated, aware um, or um, able to provide kind of really what is needed. I mean, you're talking about someone who was, you know, at high risk for um, exactly what happened, which is an overdose. And, um, you know, as a, as a professional who's, who's dealt with substance abuse, you know, I look to states like Florida, which have the Marchman Act, which is, you know, a legal proceeding that concerned family members can take that allow their loved one to, if they are a danger to themselves or someone else, to be kind of mandated to treatment. And, you know, there's always the discussion about what mandated to treatment means that, you know, I'm talking about effective treatment, you know, but utilizing those to, 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 to provide some safety or a bridge to be able to get someone to the other side. You know, you mentioned Suboxone. Um, there's been some recent changes in, um, you know, the buprenorphine waiver, which has been really helpful in allowing more immediate and and, and uh, timely access to something like Suboxone for opiate users who are at risk for um, overdose, um, not to mention HIV, other transmission of, uh, you know, hep C. Um, there's all sorts of things. And as a, as a form of harm reduction, we don't want these people dying. We want to be able to bridge them until they, they can engage in recovery. And Suboxone is really effective at that. But sometimes the, the facility's hands are tied. And sometimes it's a question of we're seeing so much of this, we just have to process and get to the next one. And that's, that's heartbreaking to think that we live in a place that would, that would find that solution acceptable because it's really not a solution. It's, it's allowing our loved ones to die. And when you talk about the stigma of addiction, some people feel, well, you know, if they really wanted to change, they could. And, and that's not the case at all. I mean, these drugs are highly addictive. Uh, and the, the needs that people have to, uh, you know, what we preach about in an intervention, you know, with our company is, okay, it's not just about getting them stable. What is their long-term kind of goal? How are we going to support them long-term? And long-term is a year. Be clear, it's a year-long 
recovery path that can involve harm reduction strategies, that can can involve recovery support, stability, housing, insurance, medical care, uh, work, uh, social skills. All of these things are are reasons why uh, people use more or less. So, you know, I think it's I think there's a there's a big picture um, and there's lots of kinds of needs to be filled. But you're you're right. We need to we need to take these people when they're in crisis and give them more support and responsive um, reactions rather than hoping for the best and sending them off after a, a four Narcan revival. We are talking on the eve of the International Black Balloon Day, a day of remembrance for those whose lives have been lost to addiction and drug overdose, with Ken and Eric McLaughlin Seeley from Ken Seeley Rehab. In a few minutes, we will conclude our conversation with them, and we will share how you can see the new season of Intervention on cable and satellite television, how you can get in touch with Ken and Eric, If you or a loved one is in need of recovery help, we will also remind you that every Sunday morning here on the iHub radio service, Toby C. hosts three hours of recovery discussion from 6 to 9 a.m. Pacific time on In This Moment. That's coming up this Sunday morning. The John McMullen Show, remembering our co-founder, Alex Huey, and the millions of other human beings whose lives have been cut all too short by drug addiction, We will continue with more in a moment. you can still talk after two strokes. It's the John McMullen Show on the iHub Network. Well, thank you for being along with us on this Friday edition of the John McMullen Show. We are pleased to be joined on this day ahead of Black Balloon Day, which is a global day of remembrance for people who have died from a drug overdose by Ken and Eric McLaughlin Seeley from Ken Seeley Rehab. Millions of fathers, mothers, daughters, sons, cousins, aunts, uncles, friends, and co-workers lost to addiction and drug use. It's tragic no matter how you look at it. Black Balloon Day is every March 6th, and people all around the globe will be remembering their loved ones tomorrow. No doubt anyone who has gone through this tragic loss would not wish these circumstances or pain on anyone else. Ken, could you let people who may be uninsured or underinsured or their loved ones know that there is help out there for virtually everyone who seeks it? Well, the good news is there's a lot of great, great facilities that are taking state insurance. So if you qualify for state insurance, I would get enrolled immediately. Um, and then for private insurance, I mean, you could help, you could have your family members or friends, you know, family of choice pitch in and for like 800 to a thousand dollars a month, you know, for six months, eight months until you get on your feet, pay the premium for an insurance company. And then when you get a job, you'd be able to get insurance through your job, but that's the cheapest way to do it. 
But if you just have nothing at all, no friends, no family, no, um, no job, no, you know, you don't qualify for state insurance. Um, that's kind of hard to believe because if you don't have anything, state insurance will cover you. But if you don't have anything, there are places like the Salvation Army that will do treatment for free. So we could also help you connect with those. I have heard you both speak in the past about how we lose a 737 full of passengers every day to overdoses. With that kind of casualty rate, why isn't this at the top of our national priorities? I mean, that is just mind-blowing to think about. Well, we're hoping this administration, it will be a bigger deal. Um, I know there's a lot of background work that's going on and a lot of money set aside for treatment and recovery. So let's pray that that happens, you know, coming up year. But the reality is, is that the general public really believes that this is a choice. Addiction still a choice. And they're choosing to kill themselves. They don't understand about the mind disease and that, you know, they're just hurting from some form of trauma in a childhood. Does that mean that they should kill themselves on heroin because they haven't dealt with that trauma? You know, that means they just need more therapy and counseling. And we got to get the message out there that it's not a choice. Nobody makes the choice to be homeless and be a drug addict and a junkie. Yeah. They had dreams just like you have dreams. Absolutely. And, you know, I still feel guilty that it wasn't until after Alex passed away that I sat down and immersed myself in documentaries and really learned about what was going on inside the brain. There was an excellent episode of the PBS series Nova that dealt with that. And it takes you to a completely different place and it makes you feel stupid for not having understood these things more when you're dealing with them in real time. And after doing that, I was like, well, of course, this person didn't have a choice. They were bound by the chemical reactions going on in their head. And I think that's why it's important that we have a big recognition of Black Balloon Day like we do tomorrow around the world and for people who have sadly lost a loved one. Because every time I read a story of another person who's lost somebody to fentanyl, to heroin, to cocaine. It's essentially the exact same story as what I went through with my friend. So it's hard for me to believe that millions of people in America face this the way that they do in their families every single day and that this is not one of our national priorities. I certainly hope it's going to be. And like you say, hopefully this new Biden administration will make it a significant priority in our country. Ken, we talked about the fact that you guys are into another season of the TV show Intervention. How can folks watch that? What time is it on? Where do they find it? Yeah, if you go to um, A&E, um, you will be able to find um, the new season on the 15th starts. It's a two-hour premiere. We're really excited. It's one of the hardest interventions I ever did in my career. Um, the most people I've ever got to treatment from that intervention happened um, during the premiere, so it's a great one to watch on March 15th. Great. Well, we'll look forward to seeing that. And for those who need some help or have a family member, a friend who needs help, how can you help them? How can they get a hold of you? Yeah, even if it's not with us, we will guide you in the right direction. So just call us. The call is free. Um, KenSealyRehab.com or 866 888 
800-848-4911. We'd love to help you get out of this misery. Thank you both very much for joining us, Ken and Eric McLaughlin Seeley. Once again, a reminder that you can get a hold of Ken and Eric at Ken Seeley Rehab by going to Ken Seeley, that's K-E-N-S-E-E-L-E-Y, Rehab, R-E-H-A-B dot com. We'll continue with more of The John McMullen Show after we update you on news headlines from NBC. NBC.